up to and including literally the day on the 10th of Nisan in that year when Jesus came riding into town on the fall of a donkey. He said, on this day, if the people didn't declare Messiah the King, the rocks would cry out. And he said, how did he say it? He chastised them moments later for not knowing the season. This thy day. You should have known these things. And he said these things in a very profound way because of the prophecies that were evidence of the day that was occurring out of the book of Daniel. And I said to you, if the masses, the religious leaders, and the very disciples didn't understand and were held accountable for it, how much more, or at least equal to, would the church be accountable for perhaps not knowing, recognizing, and understanding the second advent and the seasons leading up to Christ's return. And I said that I was going to share today some of the signs of the times that we are living in, which would be indicative of why we say we believe we are living in, quote, unquote, the last days. Lean forward in your seats. Like, come on. Tell us something. Are you ready? Before I go, <laughs> next Sunday, don't jump to any conclusions, next Sunday we have a combined service with our Damascus campus here. Yeah, good. It's connection points, it's opportunity to meet and greet and love, get to know. So I, this week, have been pondering, do I wait? and share all this exciting <laughs> and give an assignment to you in preparation for and then cover this morning a couple of things I've been stirred about even this week. And I feel like that's where I'm going. So those of you who like Oh, hi, I mean, PD, I was bated breath coming. Here's, here's, what I, here's, what I want you to, here's what I want you to think. I want you to process this. Jesus had like four main discourses with people in his public ministry that we have record of in the, in the, in the text of the Gospels, if you will. Big ones, like, you know, there was a crowd, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one of those discourses is recorded by Matthew and recorded by Luke. Mark has a smaller version of it, but it's, it's all there, and pieces are drawn from you. I mean, you can make the connections immediately. But 
but it's called the Olivet Discourse. Raise your hand if you've heard of the Olivet Discourse. Yeah, there's a, a number of us. And this Olivet Discourse, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were called aside, and so he's now having a private council, if you will, and instructing. And Luke gives a record of it, and Matthew gives a record of it, and in those records, they seem to be the same thing, except there are different pieces pointed out. And there's two interesting statements. Luke records, but before all these things, and then he gives detail, and in Matthew's account it says, after these things, and he gives an account. There's a little bit of information that we should know, because textually, even though Jesus was talking singly, he's talking about two separate occurrences of some things. And so here's your homework assignment. Are you ready for this? Read through Luke chapter 21. Read through Matthew chapter 24. Look for the common pieces, like there will be signs, right? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes in diverse places and all of that kind of stuff, right? So look for some of those similarities. And then next Sunday, when our families in their entirety will dive into some of these things and some of the signs of the times in which we are living. And if you're like totally disappointed at me this morning for not coming and giving that message to you, send Pastor Matthew in an email. <laughs> Please don't. Just know, just know, uh, this, this stirring kind of happened uh, on Monday, Tuesday in my heart. Because in the text of John chapter 12, there are a couple of things that I feel like we need to be heads up on. And I, I literally, as I've, I've gone through this, I kind of felt like I have at least five more sermons in John chapter 12. And I was feeling this compelling, like, we need to move forward, and yet this is viable, not only information, but reality for our living. Like, how do, I, how do I take this and apply it in my life today? And I think there's some critical mass in here, and I felt like the Spirit of God was just saying, disseminate information today in relationship to what it means to live as sons of light. Sons of light. And so, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 12. Before I do that though, because I'm human and I have uh, emotions, like how many, if you were disappointed this morning, raise your hand and let me know. Just, okay. Official, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you, please love me. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. Because I don't want to say something and then take it back. I want to I wanna honor my word. Yeah, did you want to ask? Yes, yes. Thank you for asking that, Aaron. It will be recorded and it will be posted on Sunday on our YouTube channel. And if you want information on that, you can go to our YouTube channel and our sermons are all posted up there. 
Okay, so we, and we'll, we'll like double record it so it'll be on SoundCloud also, and then you can also watch the video and enjoy the worship. So, great question, Aaron. Thank you. No more questions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so John chapter, John chapter 12. Oh boy, I just, my Bible opened up to my Denny's loyalty card. I can order now from the back of the Denny's menu. They, it's no longer honored citizens, though. They felt like that was saying something like year old or something. I don't know. But anyway, they changed it to loyalty card. Yay. I don't know why I'm telling you that. <laughs> John chapter 12. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 20. And what, I'm, what we're going to look at today is, is three, just kind of three thoughts. Three thoughts as sons of light. And for those of you, sons, I mean sons and daughters of so three thoughts. We'll begin in verse 20, and we'll go to verse 33. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. These particular Greeks, in their culture, they were known as uh, God lovers. God lovers. They weren't necessarily believers yet, but they were called God lovers. And the reason they were called God lovers is because they were very intrigued with the God of the Hebrews, and they were discontent with the Greek gods, right? So the God of their day, they were totally discontented with, and they were intrigued by the God of the Hebrews. And so these Greeks were coming. Now remember, that just before this, the Pharisees had said in verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. The world's gone after him. This Jesus, he's behaving in such a manner that not only the Jews are falling in love with him, and we'll see in a moment, even some of the Pharisees secretly were believing in him. And we certainly know the story of Nicodemus previously from John chapter 3, who was a follower of Christ, and he was in the religious pharisaical group. And so there are some who were public about it, but remember Nicodemus even came privately at night. But there was some that were known, some that weren't known, and the whole world, so not only the Jews, but now all of the known world kind of, uh, the rest of the group, so to speak, Gentile nations were coming after Jesus. And so, some of these Greeks, known as God-lovers, seeking truth, they came to Philip, which Philip is a Greek name, so that probably doesn't alarm us, who was from uh, Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I like that. I like that a lot. There's a large church in California, turn of the century minister. Uh, it's on the pulpit. So every guest speaker would be reminded, sir, we would see Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because at the end of the day, the answer to everything, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay? Okay. Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip came to Andrew, or Philip uh, came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now the judgment of this world, excuse me, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. What I'd like to focus on this morning, even though there's a tremendous amount of meat in here, that we could, we could literally, uh, I said five sermons, I mean like we could have a sermon all the time, every phrase that Jesus makes, I mean, we could, uh, probably every word that is addressed. But I want to focus this morning on just the, the first thought as a son of light, uh, just I'm centered around redemptive thoughts. Redemptive thoughts of redemption or redemptive thoughts. And what I see here is Jesus makes a statement in verse 23. He says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So he recognizes. And he later says, for this very hour, the summation of my life is for this purpose. This hour. And then he reveals, or in the midst of this, he reveals, I'm troubled. I'm troubled. And there's this point of humanity. It's a tension point. I've come for this hour, the spirit man, and for this very purpose I have come. Everything has pointed to this hour. I've talked about this hour. My hour has not yet come. I'm, this is where I'm, it's the summation. This is my life. And then there's this kind of flesh side of the coin. I'm troubled. Should I pray, Father? Take this cup, which we know he later even says in consent. Right? And this is this is the final week. I mean, they they're in the midst of a Passover meal, so to speak, right? I mean, they just they're just having six days before boom 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 and they're fixing, they're moving towards the Passover. I mean, we're gonna be at that meal in just a few moments. And so it's triumphal entry, tenth of Nisan, so two days have passed from that six day statement, and now they're moving even closer. These are like the last days of Jesus. The whole Gospel of John covers three and a half years of his ministry, but it's only 21 actual days. Well, he's in the last four days, so to speak, before his crucifixion. Okay? So he's real close. And he's troubled by that. And I would call this a tension point. 
And I love his conclusion. Father, glorify yourself. And here's, here's, here's what I want to draw to you and I. I want to relate to you and I. Every one of us sitting in this room, we face tension points. Where there's a spiritual thought, and then there's an earthly thought. There's a spiritual thought, and then there's an earthly thought. And the tension point, am I going to do what I know to do spiritually? The Spirit of God inside of me is yearning and drawing me and pointing, do this. And my flesh is like, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to do that. And I believe in the midst of that clash is opportunity for redemption in other people, in relationships, in me, my relationship with the Father. There is opportunity. You, we're going to see in just a few moments, in just a few moments, these Pharisees that believe, it says that they believe secretly. Why? Because they feared being cast out of the synagogue and because they loved the praise of man. Why are reasons that you and I wouldn't share that we're believers in Jesus? Fear and we don't want to be cast out of whatever our group is, like, oh, they're weird. Or whatever. Or I don't want to lose my job. Or I don't want to be ostracized at work. Or whatever that looks like. That's a tension point, because if I do reveal, I would be ostracized, perhaps. Or, maybe it's on another category, I just love the praise of man, and I'm actually, I probably won't hear the praise of man if I reveal, or if I'm humbling myself, so to speak. Does that make sense? And so I think that every, every single day, you and I face moments of tension points. When there's a contrast between the Spirit of God, who if we're believers in Jesus, he, the Spirit inside of us is communicating to us, and we're called to do something, be something, probably not, not that order, probably be something and then do something, and then the flesh man is saying, if you do that, it's going to cost you, and so there's a trouble. And I believe that Jesus tells us what the remedy is. Because at the end of the day, it is not about us. Father, glorify your name. I'm going to do that, Jesus said, which brings glory to God the Father. And I think for you and I, that answers a whole lot of questions that we, we might have. Think about a tension point. Think about in a conflict that maybe you've recently been in. Maybe it was a conflict between a husband and a wife. Maybe it was a conflict between a parent and a child. Maybe it was a conflict between two kids. Maybe it was a conflict at work. Wherever the conflict is, if rather than being right or getting my way, I'm, I want to glorify the Father. I want to glorify the Son. I want to honor the Spirit. And we simply chose that. Think about our emotional state of being. I mean, honestly, we wouldn't have to get angry. Right? Anybody here? You don't have to raise your hand. I mean, I get angry on the freeway. Well, I don't even know the person in the other car. 
I gotta own that? And is that glorifying God? I try and justify it. Well, it's righteous indignation. That man was breaking the law. And I look down at my speedometer and I go, so am I. <laughs> and I can't, I mean, I can't, we cannot justify that, right? Tension points. So often in our lives, our mode of operation in a tension point is to walk away from it. I don't want to be in this setting. And we run from the tension point. When in reality, if we would walk into it, we would discover the redemptive moment. God is redeeming in those moments. He's revealing himself in those moments. He's speaking in those moments. That's radical. I mean, I've not heard the audible voice of the Father. And if I took a survey, I'm pretty sure nobody in this room has either. But what if we believed it could happen? I could change things. If Jesus was the example, I mean, we're going to see in a minute it's observation number three, the thought number three, relationship. The Father is speaking, and Jesus is hearing. He's not doing something that he wasn't showing us that we could have. Communion with the Father. And we would know his voice. Right? Jesus said, my sheep, what? Know my voice. He wasn't just talking first century disciples. He's talking 21st century, you and me, church, right? My sheep know my voice. We'll hear his voice. Again, it may not be audibly. It might be in our own hearts and our minds. We might be jumping off the pages at us. But that's not to say it's in here. What's it got? Three different times with Jesus. That's powerful. And I hope that kind of works your thinking a little bit this morning. Think, what if? So, walking into uh, these tension points. Hey, and tension points come in long forms. I had a conversation with a guy, Sherry's in my office, and uh, <laughs> many of you have put me in my office. And uh, we, we talked about it. Just in this community alone, you know that at this school, this is the largest elementary school of the 17 elementary schools in the North Blackman School District. 550 students here at the school. I encourage you to be praying for the 550 students here. Mm -hmm. um, 50%, 40 to 50% in this school are on free and reduced lunches. Okay. Yeah, that's like, wow, because immediately across the street, Sunnyside Road, is Happy Valley, one of the wealthiest communities in the state of Oregon. And how cool is it that there's actually like a tension point there? There's a socio-economical tension point. And we as the church get to step in, walk into that tension point, and provide lunch buddies, a redemptive moment. Where do these come from? Well, the church provides them. How cool is that? Right? 
So people are hearing about you through a small attention. And they're everywhere. I mean, here's one, political. I mean, in the church. Attention points. But if we look for the redemptive moment, it could be different, right? You see what I'm saying? So relationships, family, all, I mean, all you have to do is look at your day and every scenario that you're at, whether it's on the freeway, whether it's at the restaurant, wherever you are, work, moments. I want to glorify the Father. I want to glorify the Father. So this week, let's think a little different at the moments of tension. Instead of avoiding, let's walk into them. And then let's look to glorify God and see the redemptive moments. Does that make sense? Nod your heads with me if that if that resonates just a little bit with you. Because they're there. Okay. Second thing. Thoughts of retirement. Question. Like, I'll say it this way. Retirement? Retirement. Because in the kingdom of God, retirement is different. Like, very different. So I said, what are you going to do when you retire? He said, I don't retire in this world. And some of you are thinking, great, is he going to be preaching 20 years from today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, let me say it differently. Yes, I will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It'll be longer. <laughs> but here's the point. In this kingdom, and I believe me, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make fun of so please, uh, thank you for your laughing. But the point I'm making is, in this world, retirement is different. So if you're working and you, you know, at 62, 65, 55, wherever it is that you stop that job, you're not stopping the work of the kingdom. We do that until Jesus says, time to come home. And with most of our heart. With all your heart. Because at the end of the day, that is the only kingdom that matters. Okay? So let's look at these next few verses. Uh, what verses did I say? All the way 34 through 36. So only three verses. He says this. The people answered him. Now he just told them how he was going to be crucified. Or how that he was going to be crucified. Lifted up. They understood that as the crucifixion. So people answered him, we've heard from the law, the Old Testament, this law, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man may be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Who are you talking about? Because the law says this, and now you're saying this. Who is, who is the Son of Man? This, is the Son of Man Messiah, the Christ? What, what are you saying? Then Jesus said, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. He, he calls us sons of light. Now, this is an interesting phrase. I'm, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 16. So flip back to Luke 16. 
uses this phrase also. And in Luke 16, beginning in verse 1, he tells a parable. And he's going to make a profound statement at the end of the parable. And he's going to refer to something like. It says this. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. You might underline wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. So you owe 100, but take your bill quick and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. He's not there. The sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. I'm like, you ever have those moments you're like, these letters are in red, and I absolutely have no idea what he's trying to say. And for many, it's here that that happens. And so as I was processing and praying and studying, it occurs to me that what this man was doing in his generation, the generation, if you will, of the kingdoms of the world. Okay? The sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation. Okay? So their preparations for this life and future in this life. Retirement. I can no longer be stored, so I'm going to make provision for myself when I'm no longer employed. And Jesus said the sons of this world are more shrewd, they're smarter about making preparation for their future in that generation, than the sons of life. What's he saying? Many followers of Jesus are not making preparations for our retirement, which is heaven. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven 
or moth and rust cannot destroy. Folks, this is a very big deal. Because it definitively will change the way we live. We're encouraged in the New Testament, be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. And I've said this before, we will tip a stranger at a restaurant. I've been chastised even by my own family members when I would only do 15%. You know, you remember, my generation remembers like 10%. Remember with the 10 percenters? I mean, we're like, oh, maybe 9%. <laughs> and 10, it was like the common. Then it somehow got up to 15, I don't know, in artificial inflation or whatever, but then the peer pressure was like, is anybody watching you right now? I'd like to figure this out. 10% was easy, right? You just move a decimal point, you're like, okay, I'm going to add up my money. 15%, then you have to, like, do some math. Then it went to, like, 18%. I'm like, whose idea was that? Now we're up to 20% and above, sometimes even 25%. And I, I, at Denny's, when you put your card in there, it has a suggestion of 22%. I'm like, what employee has figured that out? I don't know. But anyway, they, they do the math for you. And we'll, we'll, we will be rich towards a stranger who cannot change anything in our lives. And when it comes to the creator of the very universe that we live in, we say things like, well, that's an Old Testament practice. I'm off that. Hallelujah. And we don't tie. The increase, and we're stingy. People in the world make better preparation in their generation. They're not; they're, they're sons of this world. They're not going to be in heaven, and they're making preparation for their future while they live here, eat, live, drink, die, spend eternity in hell. But in their generation, they were more shrewd. And the children of light, and I say to us, we as the body of Christ, dear God, help us to catch that there is a kingdom that is eternal, and that we should be radically engaged there. Radically. In fact, I would go as far as to say, man, you get an increase in your paycheck, don't go buy more stuff. Give to the kingdom. Not because Hillside needs your money. I'm not saying that. I mean, I think we need, you know, I store house and all that stuff. Yes, yes, and yes. But, and I think we do ministry well here. I mean, I think we're engaged in community. We're engaged in the mission. We're engaged in getting the gospel out. We have a vision and a plan and all those pieces. And I'm like, come on. We're planting churches and we have a plan to plant more churches. And the churches that we plant have plans to plant churches. Because that's the kingdom of God. We love that. I'm just saying for your sakes, not for the kingdom's sake, for your sake and my sake, let's be the church that is radically engaged in the kingdom of God. 
right? Sons of light. I don't want to be one of the guys in this statement that Jesus makes. They're more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. I won't, wouldn't it be great? He says, yes, 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 except for there was this one group. It's interesting to me, in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and chapter 3, seven letters to seven churches, that one church, very specifically, there is nothing negative said about it. It's the church of Philadelphia. And that church time, if you're, if you're kind of like a dispensationalist, that church time was like from the 1900s when the gospel went out into the mission. When we realize we must reach the world, the, the church, the kingdom of God, we must reach the world. And missionaries, young people like sitting in this front row, their passion, their heartbeat was, God, send me. Just like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, he overheard the conversation in the throne room of God. Whom shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me, send me. When we hear stories like, Men like Hudson Taylor and others who went into the world and gave themselves fully for the kingdom of God. Folks, that's you and me today. You are a missionary right where God has you. And let's just be about the kingdom. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because it's not about ours. I struggle with, I love the praise of man. You do too. Look at me. Me, me, me. Me, 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 me. I'm singing my song. Help us, Lord. Let's listen to God's retirement. No. Let's have not preparation for our future here. And yes, I don't want us to be unwise about that stuff. But we're never done until Jesus calls us home. Rich toward heaven, rich toward heaven, rich toward heaven. And listen, if you're retired now, come work at the church. We got a job for you. It says Gil. I hear, I hear this hearty amen back. He's like, amen, man, come on. We have stuff to do. Come, be a part. Jump in, both feet, swim. Hallelujah. Does that make sense? Good news for me, bad news for you. I don't have my phone up here, so I have no idea what time it is. The clock got taken down. <laughs> well, I got one more thought. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me get back to let me get back to John chapter twelve. John twelve, and uh, this is powerful. And I, I won't go quickly through this, but I'll go through it quickly. Okay. Verse thirty-seven. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Which, look this way for a moment. Folks, God is a miracle-working God. Can I get an amen? And he is working miracles today. He is working miracles today. He's healing people. He's raising the dead. All that kind of stuff. And we say, well, we don't ever see that. Kind of Demons are being cast out. All that kind of stuff. It's happening today. But here's the reality and I say this because miracles and signs will not keep you. They didn't keep the children of Israel, and they won't keep you. Remember the children of Israel, they saw the part.
parting of the Red Sea. I mean, honestly, next to some of the stuff that happened in creation, that's probably at the flood. That would have been something to see. And then I come to the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, well, did you see my eyes in that way? I mean, that was cool. You're walking through. <laughs> Put my hand out the window so to speak. Check it out. I mean, that would be something. Three days later. Three days. They just saw the most incredible thing. And then three days later, they're like, blah, blah, blah. God brought us out here to kill us. Hello. No. Signs don't keep people. This is, this is very interesting, too. In the Ark of the Covenant, they had the two tablets of Moses. They had Aaron's rod, Aaron's staff. Why did Aaron's staff get put in there? Because it budded. It, like, grew branches and budded flowers and leaves. It has no roots. It's a stick. It grew. So they said, put Aaron's rod in, put Aaron's staff in. Manna, manna was a miracle. Warp your head around this. Manna, manna showed up every morning. They're like, what manna means is, what is this? <laughs> so they're like, what is this? I don't know, it's good to teach them, right? So they, they pick up the manna, and they're told, only pick up enough manna for you today. Don't pick up double portions so you don't have to pick it up tomorrow. Because if you do, there'll be worms in it. And some people pick up two days' work, they look and they're like, what are these worms? The what is it has what is it? <laughs> Where'd those guys come from? I mean, so, but, an inanimate object, manna, somehow has knowledge that on Saturday, excuse me, on, on, on Friday, you can pick up a double portion, and Saturday there'll be no worms. How did the matter know that? It couldn't know that. It was God's interaction with the children of Israel on a daily basis. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Just as he was with them, he'll be with you and I. He'll be involved in our daily activity, up to and including our food. Thanks be to God. So they put some man in there because it was a miracle. How did the man know that they had worms in it the next day? I mean, that's just amazing. And then Sunday, we picked up two portions from Monday morning and they had worms again. For 40 years this happened. That's crazy radical. Now, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, there was only one thing in the Ark at this point. What do you suppose it was? the tablets, the law. I think there's a message in there. Miracles will carry you some distance, but they will not carry you all the way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By the word of God. And so, that, oh, that was just the first verse of God. Now we're in verse 38. That was a good sermon. We should be students of the word. Uh, 
he goes on to say that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, verse 38, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed the report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah again said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. By the way, that is a reference to Isaiah chapter 53 and Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, John is telling us that he is referring to Isaiah seeing the king of glory, and he's referring to the king of glory that Isaiah saw, to Jesus. This is the second person of the Trinity. So here's the cool thing. Isaiah calls him Jehovah. So when you have Jehovah's Witnesses knocking at your door, and they say, Jesus is not God. You can say, well, let me show you. Yes, he is. And you can bring it right here to John chapter 12, and point back to Isaiah chapter 6. They're referring to the same king of glory. John says, it's Jesus. Isaiah calls Jesus Jehovah God. He is eternal God. Amen? That's a big deal. Okay, that's what we're going to Anyway, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him for, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, which I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, I speak. And so here's the thought, relationship. Jesus represented the Father. You and I, we should be representing Jesus and the Father. Does that make sense? We should represent. I'm giving this to you quickly. More to say about that, but we should be representing. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators, therefore, of God. Be imitators of God. And the behaviors that we have that are not imitating God, how about we just stop? Right? Yeah! Yeah! Like, stop! That's simple. Repentance. Repentance. Okay. Uh, he reflects. He reflects. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember, Thomas said, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Thomas, have you been with me this long? And you say, show us the Father? I'm telling you that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's an exact representation. Paul tells us, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul's life was reflecting the life of Jesus. What about ours? Lord, help us live like that and receive the blessings that go with that. Okay? So represent, reflect, and then repeat. 
I, this is what I love, and this is the relational piece I want to leave you with. This little piece of relationship. A commandment was given to Jesus by the Father. And he says, so what I say is what he told me. What he told me. So my brain goes, like, when did this conversation happen? Because oftentimes our discount is, well, Jesus is God. And so he's having like these lofty conversations. And, you know, he's the second person. The father's the first person. And there's somehow while Jesus was on earth, they were having these lofty conversations too. No. No. Jesus, when he was incarnate in the flesh, he was 100% man. You feel the tension point? He was also 100% God. But he was fully man. And he never leaned into his God knowledge, God ability, God. He lived just like you and I live, but he was without sin and didn't have a sin nature. And he's showing us how to have relationship with the Father. So it wasn't, he came with the information, right? Remember, I mean, I make statements like, here's one thing that God can't do. God can't learn. He can't learn. Because he knows everything. And yet Jesus incarnate, Luke tells us in Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom. How can God grow in wisdom? Because he set aside his godhood and was fully man to show us relationally how we can live with the Father. The Father is speaking and he will speak to you and to me. So much of that is dependent upon me. Will I avail myself? Will I live like Jesus who made it a custom to get away alone by himself? He even told us, and he prayed, he even told us, when you pray, go into your room, close the door behind you, and pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and the Father who sees you in the secret place will reward you. I think some of the reward that God gives to his children that take time and hide away with him, is he speaks to him. Gives direction. Next steps. Remember, John 16 tells us, and the Spirit will show you things to come. He'll tell you some future, these were future things Jesus was talking about. So, man, that beckons us to dive in deep relationally. Does that make sense? There's a lot of sermon there. So we have these three points. Bring up, bring up, uh, bring up the next slide here, um, if you would, please. So live a sense of life. Seek redemptive moments, those tension points. Secondly, make etern internal, eternal investments. Be rich toward the kingdom of God. Right? True retirement. Deepen your personal relationship with God. That's, that's the activity of sense of life. Does that sound good? Yeah? Can you walk away with some meat to chew on a little bit? Maybe some milk to drink a little bit? A transformation this week in our lives, how we live for the Lord. So I'm going to leave you with these thoughts. Please stand with me. We're actually closing this time. He said, if you believe, you will become sons of life. 
a transformation will begin to happen in our lives. If you're here this morning and you've not put your hope and faith in Jesus, the Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And we're saved from the penalty of our sin. Trust me, there's no one in this room that is free from sin. We're all sinners. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, sinner. We're sinners. We're sinners. But we're saved by grace. Come on. It doesn't mean that's I'm just telling you right now, if you came to church this morning looking for a perfect pastor, you came to the wrong church. <laughs> and if you came looking for a perfect people, you ruined it when you got here. <laughs> We're all broken vessels. But Jesus has redeemed us. And he's transforming us. We are free from the penalty of sin. question gets asked often, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? I would say to you very humbly today, God who is love does not send people to hell. They, they choose to go there by rejecting his provision to nothing. So if you're here this morning and you would like to put your faith in Jesus, you'd say, I want, I want I want Jesus' work that he accomplished upon the cross. He died, rose again, shedding his own blood to cover the penalty for my sin. He took the penalty. My penalty, he took. I deserve death. He died for me. So that I will not die. And I can live for eternity with him. And believe me, sometimes we think, well, what is heaven really going to be like? We're just going to be standing around with the angels singing in the choir. No! They'll be that, I'm sure. You know, all the singers are like, what? It's not We're going to live lives. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how we're going to mow the grass, because there's going to be grass. Will we have like a gasoline engine, or will it be a, an engine that is like a perpetual motion machine? It makes no, you know, there's no CO2 gases coming out of the thing, or whatever. I think about that stuff. So, all that kind of stuff, it, heaven's going to be great. Listen, if you're thinking for one moment that hell is somehow, I'm going to go there because we're going to have a party. Hell is not a party. It's eternal torment. Don't choose to go there by rejecting. Today's the day of something. That's right. That being said, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. Will you close your eyes with me? Please. In a very honoring and humble way, please respect closing your eyes. If you're here today and you would like to put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and know that your name is written in his book and that you will spend eternity with him and that you would escape hellfire, if that's you and you would like to be born again, would you indicate that to me by raising your hand where you're at and say, that's me, and that's me. I see those hands coming. Somebody else. Just a Anyone else? Today is the day of salvation. Today. Do not harden your hearts. Put your hand in your face. Thank you. Anyone else? 
Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, these two young ladies who raised their hands, we make the declaration together as a body of Christ. We say, Jesus is Lord. Say it with Jesus is Lord. We welcome them into the family of God, placing their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, we look forward to the investment in discipleship that will be happening in their lives. We look forward to their water baptism. We look forward to the public declaration where they'll say, yes, yes, I am a Christ follower. God be glorified. These, these things and activities and thoughts about sons of light, Lord, help us take implement in our lives this week. We love you. We praise you. We look forward to next Sunday where these things will be shared about the second coming of Christ, the soon return of Jesus. So God be glorified. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people have a strong amen. 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 The Lord bless you and keep you. Have an amazing week in Jesus. God bless.